Clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. A roar. And open the door to join us for the 42nd meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm the Bodega Cat Booster Meredith. And I'm keeping my incisors short by continuously gnawing on my cuticles, Mike. And we meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call it the Dalmatian Station. Bark a bark. To talk about our favorite animals. While like an expert calls, we make up for an umbrella enthusiasm and try like wonder. Wow. Souls out all of that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom on Amalia. For first-time listeners to our show. <laughs> <laughs> It's not normally that silly, but we're just riding a wave. We started with a thing and ran with it. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, I can say, Meredith, I think that it's partially due to my weekend animals, which is that salads are back in my life in a very significant way. And so I'm feeling a lot of lagomorph energy, like, you know, rabbits, hares, and pikas. Mike, I've been having, like, the same exact experience. I just made that comment last night to Anthony as we ate our, like, fifth salad of the week. And I was like, rabbits. (laughs) Yeah. I've had so much greens this week, like so many more greens than I've been having previously in August and July. It's the, I'm all about it. I love it. Yeah. I feel like June, maybe it was June, was pretty green heavy, but I've kind of tapered off recently and I'm very happy to be back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the green wave. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm just, I have more energy. I'm happier. They're really important. I think everybody should get on a green journey. I agree. You know? I very much agree. Yeah. How was your week in animals, Meredith? Fine. It's kind of general. I don't live with an animal, but I see a lot of them when I'm out and about walking the streets of New York City. But I had a dream actually last night. And it was kind of weird, and I'm only remembering snippets of it, but there was like a portion of the dream where I went to go put something in the toaster oven, and there was a little green frog in my toaster oven. Whoa. I said, what? But like in the dream... You know how dreams often, like, crazy things are happening, but they don't seem that crazy to you in the dream? Sure. So it was like I was not surprised or freaked out that there was a little green frog in our toaster oven. Whatever. But I looked it up. I went online and I said, what do frogs mean in your dreams? And it said green frogs in particular represent rebirth, transformation, renewal, professional transformation and new beginnings. So I, I'm down with all of that. That sounds great. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good journey for you. Yeah, I think, you know, we're... And right as a pigeon lands on my fire escape, universe, what does it all mean? You better watch out. I, I hear you. I hear you. I see you speaking, calling out to me. What does it mean? Hi, pigeon. Okay, right now. There's a pigeon hopping around on my very fire escape, live, from Harlem. Pigeon alert. Okay, it flew away. Okay. That was fun. Meredith, that was a pretty exciting pigeon adventure that we just had together. But how was your week in animals? Well, I mean, aside from my sort of lagomorph vibe, it's been pretty chill. Not as many dog yeah. experiences as last week, you know? Um But some pretty good memes. I feel like the internet's doing it with, like, all the animal content that's just kind of streaming across my feed at this point. I mean, it's the majority of my feed, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. In this other uh, show that I'm working on that I'll talk more about uh, soon, it's sort of this, like, post-apocalyptic situation thing, and they talk about how cats were worshipped by the ancients, and in this situation... They're referring to us on the internet as opposed to, uh, you know, Egyptians or whatever. That's funny. Oh, that's really cute. I've also been thinking about that, how the internet is mostly about cat worship. I, I'm here for it. I'll tell you what. Thanks, Al Gore. Yeah. 
for real. Well. Yeah, I guess let's just jump in. What do you say? I, I love it. I love it. You ready for the old taxonomy cheer? Ready? Okay. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who? Taxana me. Kingdom. In Amelia. Obviously, that's the kingdom. Phylum. Chordata. Dorsal nerve cord. Class. Mammalia. Our fuzzy furry friends. Order. Artiodactyla. Undulate squad. Activate. Family. Delphini day. Oceanic dolphins. Genus. Tersops. They've got a bottlenose. Species. Truncatus. The Atlantic bottlenose dolphin. A.K.A. the common bottlenose dolphin. Dolphins. Yeah, Meredith, the answer for episode 42 <laughs> is so long and thanks for all the fish. We got the dolphins here. A little nod to our hitchhiker's guide for the galaxy. We're going to talk dolphs. I hope I you're ready. I am very ready. This is great. The Kingdom Animalia, look, if this is a surprise, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Phylum chordata, they got dorsal nerve cord spines generally. A class mammalia, we know that mammals, uh, we are mammals. Order, Artiodactyla, undulate squad, activate. Those are our even-toed undulates, hoofs up. Hoofs up or fins up. Or fins up, for sure. And then we have an infraorder, which is the cetacean nation, our cetacean friends. (laughs) It's like, you know, lots of whales and dolphins and things. And then the family Delphinidae, the oceanic dolphins. Mm -hmm. There's four families of dolphins. Delphinidae, which is the oceanic dolphins. Platanistidae, South Asian river dolphins. Inidae, new world river dolphins. You may remember our pink river dolphin of the Amazon. That was an Inidae. Oh, yeah. Big old s- swimming scrapes. Swimming scrapes himself, themselves. Pontoporidae are La Plata dolphins which is a cute little small dolphin that lives off the coast of southeastern South America. So we have the four families, the Delphinidae, the Oceanic Dolphins, the Platanistidae, the South Asian River Dolphins, Inidae, New World River Dolphins, and then those cute little Pontoporidae. Cute. There's tons of subfamilies and genera. There's recent molecular analysis indicating that several delphinid genera are not monophyletic as recently recognized. So significant taxonomic revision within the oceanic dolphin family is likely. Then the genus Terciops is the most common member of the family Delphinidae. Previously, all three bottlenose species were recognized as one species, but after molecular studies has been divided into three species, the Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphin, the Baranin dolphin, and the Atlantic bottlenose dolphin, which is our species, the Truncatus, the Atlantic bottlenose dolphin. It's the one we're familiar with. It's frequently held in captivity, featured on television film programs. Flipper. Flipper, exactly. Flipper, SeaWorld, all of that. Was the name of the dolphin from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective? Oh, I don't remember. Was that Ace Ventura 2? No, that's Ace Ventura 1. Yeah, I did see I that I remember one. he's like, you know, do you have a dorsal fin? Does he call you at home? <laughs> do you want to find the dolphin? You have to think like the dolphin. <laughs> I gotta watch that. Yeah. It's notable that there's considerable genetic variation that's been described among members of the species, even between neighboring populations. Hmm. Hence the division that I mentioned earlier into these three species, the Indo-Pacific, the Baranin, and the Atlantic bottlenose. So experts consider that additional species may be recognized, which is the perfect science sentence. Yep. That yep. many experts consider that additional species may be recognized. Cover those bases. For real. Like, this is a true sentence. Look, these dolphins are smart. Their brains are bigger than humans. There's been considerable interaction with humans. They've been used to locate sea mines or detect and mark enemy divers in the U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program. We're going to hear more about that later. Awesome. (laughs) In some areas, they'll drive fish towards fisher persons, will then eat the fish that escape the nets. So they'll do these cooperative hunting things, interspecies cooperative hunting. (sighs) They're pretty big. Uh, You know, it's 6 to 13 feet, 2 to 4 meters. 
They weigh between 330 to 1,400 pounds or like 150 to 650 kilos. Wow. The males are generally larger and heavier, and they are notable for their short and well-defined snout, which resembles an old-fashioned gin bottle, and that's what they get their name Got it. They're pretty social. They'll live in a pod of about 15 individuals. The groups do vary in size. It can be as little as just one pair of dolphins to 100 dolphins, and then they will congregate to groups of even 1,000 for just a short period of time. A dolphin congress? Or convention? Dolphcon. There it is. They mostly eat eel, squid, shrimp. They like a wide variety of fishes. They'll swallow their food whole. They don't chew. They will hunt individually, but they will also work as a team. They don't only work with humans. They also work with other dolphins. Good. I would hope so. And then to hunt, they use their echolocation to kind of figure out where the fishies are and to drive the fishies around and everything. And that's, uh, it's like a form of sonar, you know, notable other sonar users like bats. And I think that's really fun. They'll also make sound for communication. And that includes squeaks that they make with their (laughs) blowholes. Then they'll use the nasal sacs, which are just below their blowholes to make whistles. And then they'll make sounds with body language. Like if they jump out of the water and slap their tail on the water. Oh, fun. And then in their heads, there's an oily substance that protects their brain case and acts as an acoustic lens to help focus the sound, to help them figure out, you know, where and what and how and who and what they're doing. Uh, Meredith, uh, you know, trigger warning about this dolphin fucking, I guess. yeah. It's a little violent. Um, they're, so they're polygamous. They can breed throughout the year, but it mostly happens in the spring. So males form an alliance to seek a female who is an estrus. Mm-hmm. And for a chance to mate with her, they'll separate her from her home range. And the fact is, is that it's a little bit of like a forced situation mm. in kind of a gang situation. And it's not exactly, like, the best experience, I think. Yeah. Dolphins are notably very, they are sexual. And I remember in this, in my, like, you know, research into human sexuality and things like that, dolphins are frequently pointed to for having sort of extreme sexual behaviors. Yeah. And I remember going to the Museum of Sex on uh, 6th Avenue, the Avenue of the Americas. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And I remember they had this, like, papier-mâché display of different animals engaging in sex acts. Uh (laughs) Because it was, like, about animals having sex. And there was writing I remember seeing about, like, dolphins using blowholes, not just for breathing. (laughs) And this kind of, like, sort of, you know, group circumstances and everything. But the more you read about it, and I think also with the way that our discourse has evolved in the past couple of years in terms of, like, sexual violence and, you know, uh, issues of power and autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear that this is not the sexiest situation. Right. It's, like, a little... Ugh. But then after the lady's preggy, she'll gestate for about a year, and then she'll have a single calf, which is about two and a half to four and a half feet long and weighs between 33 and 66 pounds. Suckling lasts 18 to 20 months, which is a long time. Wow. Right? Yeah. Seems like it. I mean, that's probably getting towards the end of when, you know, women, human women would breastfeed. Is it? I actually don't really know that. I don't really know. I think it varies, of course. But, I mean, there are extreme examples where (laughs) kids that are well into being potty trained and dressing themselves are still breastfeeding. But... That's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a very different podcast. That's like, did you ever watch Game of Thrones or no? Mm-mm. There's a character in it who's this, there's like two characters, a, a queen and her child. And one of the things about the that character is that she's still breastfeeding her son, who's probably a little too old for it. Yeah. His adolescence. Ew, like teens? I would say like tween, Ugh. you know, on the cusp. Yeah, no good. <laughs> of... The changes. Sexual maturity varies, but it ranges from 5 to 14 years. It's earlier for females than males. And this varies amongst populations. Again, there's, I think that 
we're going to kind of hone in on multiple species here at some point. So I guess that's a exciting thing to watch is dolphin taxonomy. Sure. Sure. And then Meredith, the average life expectancy in the wild is about 17 years, but in captivity, they've lived up to 51 years old. Oh, wow. What a span. I know. I know. I know. I think that just goes to show you how harsh the ocean is and how it's, you know, very eat or be eaten. Yeah, exactly. Meredith, I have another kind of short one this week. Do you have any dolphin questions, queries, concerns, complaints, traumas? Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't even know if I should bring this up, but I know other podcasts have covered this, like, very well. Um, but And I forget the name of the woman or what the situation was, really, so why am I even trying to talk about it? But there was a woman who was, like, famously, like, a dolphin researcher, but her her interactions with the dolphins became, like, a little more than, like, research and research subject. Things became a little more amorous. <laughs> this is the woman who started masturbating the dolphins, right? Yeah. She was, she fun. got a little, she got a little, um... Too close, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, a matter of opinion. But, um, yeah, that sounds really gross. (laughs) I have to say that in terms of dolphin content that I encourage others to experience, there is that Penn & Teller show, uh, Bullshit, that was on for a while. Do you remember that? On, like, HBO. It was totally, like, a dude show. But I think that you probably would have seen it. I think so. I think I've seen it on, like, I think it's on Showtime. Yeah, I'm not sure where it is. I watched it, you know, back when I first moved to Cincinnati, I watched it at uh, somebody's house. You know, when you get to a city and you hang out with people for like the first two weeks and then you'd never see them again. Yeah. It was one of those situations. So I I couldn't tell you where I saw it exactly. But it's the show about people who think dolphins have magical powers. Yeah. And they kind of go through and they call bullshit on everything. And they're very funny in that episode because they're like, we don't really need to do anything here. Like, this all writes itself, <laughs> you know. They talk to the white woman in Hawaii who talks about dolphin-assisted birth where it's like a water birth but in the ocean and the dolphins come up and help push the baby out of the mother human. Oh, I wish. Which sounds like a really good way to die. Like, both yourself and your child. Like, that just sounds... Like anybody doing that needs to go to a hospital and give birth in a hospital for the record. But this is not a labor health podcast. This is an animal podcast. Right. And then they also go to Arizona where there's this like support group that, you know, uses dolphin energy to heal people. Mm-hmm. And it's called Dolphin Heart World. <laughs> I remember that Penn says, he's like, oh, I bet you can write the name of that on your Hello Kitty stationery without using any words. <sighs> I like to imagine the picture of the dolphin and then the heart and then the picture <laughs> of the world. I like that's kind of that's like a that's that's one of those insults that takes you a second to figure out, you know? Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't know. What, I mean, that's cute, but what? <laughs> so I encourage everybody to check that out. I'm sure it'll feel dated because you know it's from the aughts. Yeah, it's like early 2000s, right? If I've I have seen a couple of episodes of it, but I haven't seen the dolphin one yet. Yeah, I bet it was mid to I bet it was mid. 2000s. I bet it was like 2008, 2007, 2008. Okay. Gosh. But yeah, it's I encourage that as a further line of inquiry and exploration because they talk about the woman who tried to teach dolphins English and so they have a field recording and sh- this woman is going like humanoid and then the dolphin goes ah! no, humanoid. Ah! <laughs> yeah, baby. Cetacean nation. Fins up. That's actually where that term comes from, too, Cetacean Nation. That's I heard that for the first oh, time really? in <laughs> the Penn and Teller show, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then to underscore this relationship between the Artiodactyla squad, which is the undulates, so creatures with hoofs, are actually in the same order as dolphins, and that is the Trigulidae friends, are, which we talked about, which are the tiny deer yeah. with the tiny little hoofs, and they hang out a lot by water. And the very long teeth. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> anecdotal credence to this that dolphins and other cetaceans evolved from hoofed creatures mm-hmm. that were deer-like, that lived in a sort of semi-aquatic environment. And then over time, it just became more beneficial for them to be right. 
predominantly in the water because it's such a rich source of food, you know? Exactly. Ugh, evolution's so fun. Yeah. Well, I guess that's that's it for now. I love this. Yeah. Apparently more about, about the Marine Mammal Program coming up, so stick around. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> Break time. Hey, Frida. How's your Tuesday? Pretty good, Persephone. Just living the mollusk life. What's new with you? Well, my cousin's birthday's coming up next week, and I'm unsure what to buy for her. She's a sensible gastropod with a flair for fashion. Well, Persephone, have you heard about Brand Clubby's new shell bells, decorative notions for mollusks? I have not, Frida. Tell me more. Shell bells are a new line of novelty notions used to accentuate a mollusk's natural beauty and to add individual flair to help one stand out amongst the drab shells of some of our more boring relatives. Wow, sounds exciting. What are the options like? I have so many relatives with varying tastes. True to the brand clubby tradition of creating couture products for every extant creature, the Shell Bell series is as diverse as our phylum, with clam creations for our bivalve friends, sassy snail studs for punk gastropods, boat shoe bells for our scaphopod pals, and even shellless shape strands for our aplacophorans. Brand Clubby has it all. Where do I purchase? Well, the entire collection is available at Brand Clubby's web portal, so there's no need to create a new login. Oh yeah, I order from them all the time. They definitely have the info for my Calcium Carbonate Credit Union credit card, plus my shipping address. Perfect! And you'll accumulate clubby paw points, which can be used for special rewards in the future. I'm going to log on right now. Use code THEMOLLUSKNOWS20 to save 20% at checkout. Ha ha ha! Animal jokes! Ha ha ha! Are always funny! Ha 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 ha! We're back at Animal Jokes. Uh, welcome to the stage. Penguin Poundstone. Oh, how's everybody doing tonight? Yeah. All right. What do you call an alligator wearing a vest? An investigator. (laughs) You would think taking off a snail's shell would make it move faster, but it actually just makes it more sluggish. sentence different. A cat has claws at the end of its paws, but a sentence has a pause at the end of its claws. <laughs> Thanks everybody, you've been great. Check me out next night. I mean, check me out tomorrow night in Louisville. Woo! And next up to the stage, we've got Andrew Wolf Clay. What's up? What's black, white, and red all over? An embarrassed skunk. (laughs) What do you get when you cross an electric eel with a sponge? A shock absorber. (laughs) Where does a kangaroo keep their wallets? In a belt pack. Their pouches for their kiddo, silly. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you next time. Ha ha ha. Animal jokes. Ha ha ha. Are always funny. Ha 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 ha. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Trees are great, but animals rock. Phylum. Cordata. Spines, spines, rah, rah, rah. Class. Mammalia. Boob juice. Order. Carnivora. Connoisseurs of live flesh. Family. Otari Day. Pinnipeds with ears. Genus. Zolophus. Remember that movie, Andre? Species. Zolophus. Californius. Finfoot's in the air like you just don't care. It's the California Sea Lion. Meredith, I don't remember that movie, Andre. You're not talking about my dinner with Andre. No. Are you? 
No, it's this movie when I feel like as I'm reflecting back, there was just this kind of, I wouldn't say like a trend, but there was definitely a, a number of movies I can remember where it was like kids with animals or like animal movies. Because there was like Dunstan Checks In that was like an orangutan that was like hanging out in like a hotel. <laughs> I remember that with the little bellhop hat. Yes. And there was like Operation Dumbo Drop with Ray Liotta himself. Right. With the elephant. Yeah, the elephant, and there was, like, monkey trouble. Okay. Like, Thora Birch from Now and Then in American Beauty. Right. With her and a capuchin monkey, which I remember my grandma drove me to the movies to go see. <laughs> and then, uh, and grandma didn't drive much. And then, what else? There was, and then, like, that other, like, Homeward Incredible Journey or, like, Homeward Bound. Was that what, another one? Well, Homeward Bound, yeah, that was with the two dogs and the cat. That's yes, the most stressful movie experience of my life. <laughs> yeah, where they're lost and then they have to get home. But you know, shooting it was probably hilarious because they just <laughs> like drove these dogs out to places and then had them like run across the field. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, so cute though. This was all pre the Airbud franchise. Yeah, Airbud kind of like took the air out of it. <laughs> if I can. Yeah. I, yeah. Please. But then there was, like, this other movie, Andre, and it was this little girl. It was a girl from, do you remember the movie Karina Karina, also Ray Liotta and Whoopi Goldberg? But then she was also, I think her name was Deb in Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah, sure. But she was, like, a little girl, like, the cutest little girl who had this relationship with a sea lion. (laughs) Named Andre. And he would, like, do these tricks. And I remember, like, in the movie trailer, there was, of course, like, one scene of him, like, sticking his tongue out and being, like, (laughs) cute little sea lion sticking his tongue out at you. Adorable. But anyhow, let's learn more about Andre. Okay, quick tax facts. I always find this very interesting when we're dealing with Chordata because it just seems like we go kingdom, animalia, phylum, Chordata, right? Like, Creatures with vertebrae, and then you go to mammalia, and then you go to carnivora, and then from carnivora, it just automatically gets so specific, because, like, so many kinds of animals are in carnivora. Right. But then, all of a sudden, we go from, like, dogs, cats, weasels, all kinds of mammals that eat things, eat other mammals or other creatures. You go from that broad to... Otari Day, which is pinnipeds with ears. It's not even just fin-footed pinnipeds, fin-footed friends, fin-footed mammals. Right. But it's like fin-footed mammals with ears. (laughs) It's so fucking specific. It gets very specific. Super specific, super fast. So pinnipeds with ears. So that is referring to pinnipeds that are different from, quote-unquote, true seals value judgment or earless seals also known as crawling seals and then the other category would be walruses so we've got seals with ears (laughs) or essentially sea lions pinnipeds with ears earless seals and walruses in this family cool crazy yeah so sea lions are gonna have compared to their true seal friends they're gonna have like more developed pectoral muscles and more developed four fins. So they move around a lot more quickly. Whereas like seals are so rotund that they kind of just have to like flop along, you know, whereas like sea lions can manipulate their bodies. They don't look fat. Whereas like seals look fat. Sure. Yeah. No, that's okay. I, I was kind of unclear on what you were saying until you described it that way. Are what well is the walrus a sea lion or a seal or is it a different thing? It's different. So it's it's not okay. a sea lion and it's not a seal, a true seal. It's a walrus. So those are the three different kinds of pinnipeds contained within the family of Oteridae. Okay. I'm realizing as you're going through this, there's a significant hole in my mammal knowledge with regards to our like sea lion seal friends like that little corner of carnivora i don't really have like a delineation concept for so this is thrilling oh my gosh you came to the right place today and then we move down to genus so the zalophus zalophus so the za means intense though as much as i wanted it to just be pizza 
the za part of zelophus means intense and the lophus means crest. So this is referring to this thing called the sagittal crest. Oh, okay. Which I'm trying to find. Yeah, sagittal crest, which is this kind of like high domed forehead that the males have. And this is a creature feature on many mammals and even some reptiles. And it just kind of indicates an animal that has a super powerful bite, like dogs, cats, lions, great apes, even some reptiles, reptiles, <laughs> reptiles. Yeah, wreck those reptiles. So the male sea lions feature this sagittal crest, which is where this genus Zelophus, intense crest, comes from. And then we move into species, which is the Californias, um, and that is the California sea lion. So most of this is going to be talking about the California sea lion. And they essentially inhabit kind of like lower Alaska all the way down to central Mexico. So they're like all along the coast, all along the western coast of North America. Awesome. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Southeast Alaska all the way down to central Mexico. They're not obviously inland creatures, but they're pretty cosmopolitan in terms of like the coastline that they cover. Uh So in terms of appearance, there is major sexual dimorphism going on here in that the males can get up to 440 pounds. The females only 220. So they're like the males are like twice as big as the females. Of course. And the females are typically tawny brown in their pelage. Whereas the men are going to be more typically dark brown. And they've got robust necks and chests and shoulders. So we've got beefy men happening here. So we talked a little bit about movement compared to how seals kind of move like just by like heaving their bodies across the ground. Like I'm doing in my rolling chair right now. Yeah, I love that. Whereas the movement of the sea lion, they're more into being up on their flippers they obviously use in the water, but they also on land, they use their hind flippers. So they're kind of walking on all fours across land. So they kind of pull their hind flippers forward and use them as little feet. Interesting. In addition to their four flippers. Amazing. Really cute. Just trucking along. I know. Yeah. And so they're obviously like their spines are super flexible. So they're able to move very agilely through the water. They move through the water with great agility. I'll say it that way. So typically on their dives, they dive for three to nine minutes, typically, before they need to come back up for air. And they like to snack on seafood. They love their seafood, squid, fish, clams. And sometimes they work with dolphins. Hey! Oh, in the U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program? No, we're not there yet, Mike. Oh, my gosh. Okay, sorry. Slow down. This is a natural (laughs) collab. This isn't a man-forced collab. Yeah, this is like interspecies except for humans collab. So, like, sometimes they'll work with dolphins or seabirds to hunt. Yeah, an inter-aquatic mammal. Yeah, isn't that fun? Or, well, with the seabird, inter-aquatic slash littoral zone creature collab wait what's littoral zone it's a word that's frequently used to mean like coastal region oh cool it would be like the marines perform littoral operations oh kind of at the intersection of you know land and sea kind of like into the coast and into the water i got it okay cool i learned a word today And also, sadly, our sea lion friends, they're going to be the prey of killer whales and sharks most often. Okay, so now this is where it gets fun because we can talk about sea lion love. And this is interesting as usual. Okay, so the first part consists of arriving at the breeding rookery. So it's like all the singles show up. To the breeding rookery. At the rookery? At the rookery. But actually, Mike, this is funny. Going back to, I think this was with our um, swallowtail butterflies, this concept of the lecking arena. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking of. (laughs) Yes. So this is very similar to kind of a lek site or a lecking arena, which essentially is where a bunch of males gather kind of as like, kind of in like a showroom for the ladies passing through for them to choose from. Right. So in the breeding rookery, we've got all these men like 
beefcakes laying out by the water saying, Rooking up. Pick me, pick me. So essentially, the longer a dude sea lion can hang out on the rookery, it increases his chances of finding a mate. So it behooves them to be able to like remain on the rookery as long as possible. So like not going into the water to feed. So what this means is that the men with the biggest fat stores are the ones that are going to be more successful in finding a mate because they rely on their fat stores hanging out looking for ladies so the ones with the biggest fat stores going in can stay on the rookery longer and thereby have the best chances of attracting that mate. The chubs get the rubs. The ch- <laughs> Indeed, I like that. Me too. But overly aggressive or energetic males will fare worse. So it's like chubs get the rubs, excites get the biteys. That's exactly what it's like. So the men, this is another review of a vocab word. The men, the males, I should say. The males are polygynous. So what this refers to is when the male mates with multiple females. Whereas like the female will only mate with one male. And this is polygynous with an N as in Nancy as opposed to an M for Meredith. Yes. Because we think of polygamous. We're familiar with that word. But polygynous Yes. Is a distinction. And I forget. It's a form of polygamy, right? Yeah. I don't. Isn't polygamy like, doesn't it require marriage or something? Oh, that's right. Hang on. Let's, let's. Yeah. <laughs> let's get our facts straight for our listeners. Polygamy is the practice of marrying multiple spouses. When a man is married to more than one wife at the same time, sociologists call this polygamy. When a woman is married to more than one husband at a time, it is called polyandry. Yes. So both are forms of polygamy. Yes. And polygamy is in in our culture, there's a marriage right. prerequisite right. attached to that. Okay. So we've got our polygynous male sea lions. <laughs> it's funny how they actually, they just kind of skip over the more graphic thing. So we go from polygyny to the 12-month reproductive cycle. So, yep, it takes about a year to create a sea lion pup. <laughs> kind of like the dolphin. Yeah, yeah, very similar gestation period. Um, and mommy stays with the pup for 10 days, and then she'll start to go on foraging trips for up to three days. And I just want to see a picture or a video of this so bad, that, but the pups hang out together to socialize and play. While all the mommies are out foraging, the pups, like, hang out and play together. Oh, that sounds adorable. <laughs> oh, they're so cute. And then this is cool, too. This would be very interesting to hear. The moms, when they come back from these foraging trips, they call out to their pups with a very distinctive call that the pups, like this, each specific pup recognizes his mommy's call. Oh. Yeah. And then they like have a reunion, essentially. And it's a- They like hobble towards each other and are excited. Yeah. They like, yeah. It's so cute. Yeah. Um, and so sea lions in general will communicate with just kind of a, like barks and whoops and just various like orcs as I like to call them which I love because I actually witnessed this because when I was in La Jolla California a few years ago they have a sea lion cove it's just what it's called and you can just kind of get up on these cliffs over these sea lions and they're just all down there like sunning themselves and it's just loud the air is lousy with their weird stinky smell and then just the sound of their like dreamy like what are you doing who are you calling out to so communicate through barks and i didn't write this down oh my gosh but i remember reading it had this term was linked in the facebook or facebook in the wikipedia article it was like these species will quote unquote haul out at a particular time and you click on the Wikipedia link and it's like hauling out <laughs> where all of the creatures haul ass like out of the water and like hang out in a rookery, a breeding station, essentially. So the act of them all coming out of the water en masse for the breeding season is called hauling out. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so funny, but it just seems very trucker like to describe sea lion behavior. Well, that's a term for boat 
people the haul. Oh, is it? You hauled the boat out of the water. Yeah. And you could refer to a lift as a haul out, like the actual motorized apparatus that assists in the hauling out of the boat. You could call a haul out. Right. That's so funny. I didn't I didn't know that. Cool. Do you have any other boat queries I can answer? I look, I'm just so taken aback by this whole presentation, Meredith, because <laughs> I feel I like I said before, I feel like these Pinnipedia have been neglected by me. I feel like I don't know anything about them. Oh my gosh. Well, I would be more than happy to talk about seals at a later date. We can learn more about the wide world of Pinnipedia. I mean, I might you know, beat you to it. I might talk about seals first. Oh, yes. Do it. Oh, my gosh. It's a challenge. So now to answer the question from before, what do they have to do with the NMMP, the Navy Marine Mammal Program? Going back a little bit, sea lions themselves are actually fairly intelligent creatures. So they have the ability to kind of learn kind of like an artificial sign language and simple syntax. So they're often used in like zoo or like marine mammal park shows. So like as a kid that went to zoos constantly, like anytime we traveled, we went to that city zoo, just like what we did. Sure. I've seen a lot of sea lion performances. And that's probably why there was a movie called Andre, because they're probably very easy to train and they're super cute and can do silly things with their flippers. Right. This intelligence translates, this trainability translates into their use in the Navy Marine Mammal Program. And this, along with our bottlenose dolphin friends, they use animals to perform tasks like ship and harbor protection or mine detection and removal. I haven't read something about how they use sea lions, like I guess opposing forces in like the Persian Gulf. I think it was maybe even U.S. forces in the Persian Gulf would like train sea lions to like swim up behind like an enemy swimmer, an enemy diver and like attach like a rope to their foot and then quickly swim away. Like crazy like underwater combat stuff using animals. Wow. Like super weird, right? And of course there's like a lot of controversy surrounding these programs pertaining to like how these animals are treated and how this is like unnatural and putting animals in harm's way obviously through like mine detection and removal sure i mean i don't know i i think that just the ego that it must take to i guess the the gall the reckless abandon of consciousness that causes one to say i know what i'm going to do today I'm going to train a sea lion how to sneakily swim up behind an enemy diver and attach a rope to the leg of that diver so that we can pull that diver towards our vessel with some sort of winch system. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad that's not my day. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that's not what I have to exactly. do. Exactly. I'm glad that the decisions that I've made in my life have led to me not being, like, involved in that process. Right. Agreed. So? Sea lions, you like? Also, this is like a recruitment video for the Navy, or a recruitment podcast for the Navy. What? That's what we've turned into. Because we've both discussed the animals for the Navy's marine mammal program. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if we've, instead of an animal fan club, we've turned into an animal military recruitment office. Never. To our cetacean and Pinnipedia friends, if you want more information about the U.S. Navy's Marine Mammal Program, email us, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. I don't know if I agree with this collab. Yeah, it is kind of, I think that's the real tea for me. It's that, I don't know. I guess, like, ethics of training animals notwithstanding, like, training animals to do... Um, Dangerous missions. Yeah, like covert, like, spy shit. Yeah. Like, that's the shit that, like, a spy does, you know? Yeah, with full consent. At what point in the training can the sea lion assert their pacifism? You know, is the sea lion being bamboozled? Are these marine mammals being bamboozled into fighting for a cause that's not theirs? Right, And furthermore, does that make them any different than a common enlisted person? Ooh, I think I've had one too many hard seltzers to get into this. All right. Well, 
I guess we're just opening lines of inquiry. Open away. I guess it's a, this is a good time for a break. Yeah, definitely. Hi, I'm an elephant. Hi, and I'm a whale. And a little birdie told us that you love tone clusters. You know, the beautiful music that occurs when you play a bunch of adjacent notes at once. The louder, the better. Well, do we have exciting news for you. An elephant. And a whale. Have teamed up with Brand Clubby to bring you the hottest acts since the old Badger Brothers musical review. Get ready for the... Tone Cluster Busters. You supply the piano and we'll bust out our best clusters for you with a simple but gentle slap of the fin. Or an ever so sensitive stamp of the foot. With our years of performance experience, let me tell you, we will just send those clusters flying straight into your ears. And we just know you'll love it because you you love love tone clusters. We all do. Be sure to get your tickets right away. They're sure to sell out fast. Get your cluster fixed by logging into the Brand Clubby web portal and be sure to use code CLUSTER for 20% off at checkout. <laughs> now nah, I'm back to just smelling with my nose here. Oh, okay. <gasps> <laughs> just kidding. Where is the feedback? It's the feedback. Okay. So, Cyrus from Boston wants to know what butch ladybugs prefer to be called. Ooh, wow. Um, because maybe I actually. I've definitely heard a lot of pushback from people, just women I know, talking that don't love to be called lady or referred to as a lady. Interesting. So it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, confined to people that identify as butch. Yeah, this highlights uh, uh, regionalism. On the East Coast, when you say ma'am, you mean something different than when you say ma'am in most of the rest of the country. And so as a person moving to the East Coast, you have to learn not to call, not to say ma'am to a woman who's under 70. Right. Because she'll scold you. Right. And she'll take offense, you know. Right. I think that, yeah, semantics. I, I know people that like to be called lady. I know people that do not like to be called lady. I know very few people who like to be called milady. Oh, hell no. I hate, I hate that kind of speak. Yeah. I harp on this shit all the time. Like, men that do that bullshit, kind of, like, fake renaissance chivalry shit drives me nuts. Fucking hate that. Never call me milady. Yeah, I guess as somebody who likes using words like quotidian right? talking about <laughs> anything, I like a silly word. I like a word pun. I'm here for that. Of course. I don't need to demonstrate that by speaking in terms like that fucking faux renaissance fair bullshit. Yeah. It's like saying lady, like I can just kind of use a good word. Keep it away from me. But ladybugs. Definitely not miladybugs. Never miladybugs. But there may be, there are some wren bugs out there. Wren, pro wren bugs. I mean, is... Renaissance bugs. Do we take a cue? I guess we should take a cue from... You know, uh, a a butch, a butch lesbian maybe called a stud. A stud bug. Maybe a stud bug. Ooh, see, I think that gives a whole new a new perspective on the quote unquote ladybug. Yeah. I call them a stud bug. I like that. Yeah, that definitely has a certain like uh, sexual connotation where I feel like butch implies a certain uh, that it's likely a lesbian. Ladybug. Mm-hmm. Typically, that would be an assumption. Although I would argue that gender's obvious. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Fanny from Pensacola asks, how do you initiate a conversation with a Komodo dragon? I would go up and I'd flick my tongue at him. Yeah. Or her. Because they respond to that. Sure. I would probably bite into my gums so that my saliva's breathing and then spit at them. There you go. 
Ooh, then they'll just like get a taste of your blood and probably come after you. Well, you know, it's it says how do you initiate a conversation with a Komodo dragon? It's not how do you stay alive. That's very true. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So I guess a f- I mean <laughs> yeah, fish position that was easy, Fanny. Challenge us more next time, Fanny. Alright, so I guess a fish position. You flick your tongue and then you get some blood gums going and make haste. Yeah. Kind of wiggle. Wiggle your way out of there. Do, do. Okay. So Moon Unit, oh, from Orange County asks, do California sea lions orc with a valley girl accent? This is a great question, and I was wondering this myself. Yeah. Hey, Moon Unit. <laughs> Would that be like an arc, 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 arc? How would you do it, Mike? How would, how do you think they'd sound? Uh, I just have to think of like the classic Valley Girl is like this, isn't it? I would be like, I was just like, I kind of believe like, or 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 or. It's up there. It's that far forward. Or 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 or. And they say actually they they don't just orc. They go orc McGurk. Well, at the, again, that was easy. So, um, and you gotta challenge us more. They obviously have Valley Girl accents, as proven by us. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Keep the questions coming. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great week in animals. Animal blessings upon you and your home. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan.